one. <clears throat> Week seven, Easter. We're going to do it one more time. And then we've got to wait all the way till next year. So we've got to make it good. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And the world has never been the same. We finish this seven-week series on Jesus is uh, with today's sermon, which is Jesus is Calling. But before we do that, uh, last week I had asked for some video submissions. And if you got uh, my email, uh, you've got a little bit of shaming in there. But uh, we're going to see if it worked this week. John tells me it did. Uh, so I'm ready for something good. Let's see what we got. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is my everything. All that I have, all that I am, all that I will be is from his grace and his love. And that's love for me to share to you so you can see Jesus in me. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is Abba. Jesus is my constant companion. With him, I am never alone. He's always there to give me strength and encouragement when I'm making decisions and to share the joy of things that have gone well. Jesus is relatable. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus Christ is totally trustworthy, and I am not. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is life. He tells us he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the way in my life that I find direction and guidance. And he is the truth. He is the way in a world filled with lies and chaos that I find stability. His truth brings stability. And he is the life. He's the source of all I need. And he gives me purpose and identity. And I have no life apart from Jesus. Jesus is life. I think the reason that I have had a hard time in trying to make a video about who Jesus is, is because he is everything. He is beyond a list of three or four things that I can narrow down on what means the absolute most. Um, so I feel like it's difficult to, to make a list of who Jesus is without including everything. I, I just want to include everything. So I'm going to say Jesus is everything. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus is our father. Jesus is my comforter, he's my guide, he's my savior, he's just so many things. 
it depends on the day. Sometimes it depends on the hour, which one is is uh, more prevalent. Jesus is my all in all. Jesus is my redeemer. Jesus is my sustainer. This is Mary and Alan Vallow. And Jesus is our savior, our comfort, and our peace. Jesus is the Lord Almighty. Jesus is the creator. So uh, COVID has taught us a few things. Uh, one happens to be that it takes a lot of courage to get behind that or in front of that video camera. And so thank you, uh, not only to the folks who did uh, this video today, though definitely you as well, uh, but these past seven weeks, uh, honestly, this has been uh, a joy for me every week to be able to stand up here to watch you all talk about who Jesus is to you. Uh, sometimes I, I think, you know, uh, how much sermon do I need to preach at this point? Uh, this is one of those days. So thank you. Let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> God, our Father, almighty in heaven, your name is indeed holy, and we praise it today, and we lift you up, and we say that you are the almighty one, and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that you might redeem us, and that you might call us out of the pit that we've found ourselves in, into a new way of being a new way of being human that is our design. And you send the Holy Spirit that it might live in us and among us and through us and that we might diff be different people because of it. And so God, this morning as we come to you, as we prepare to hear a sermon, I pray that you ready our hearts to hear your voice anew. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. These last seven weeks uh, through the series uh, have, uh, have actually had a profound effect on me. I, uh, I can say that with honesty. Um, going through these various titles of Jesus, attributes of Jesus, uh, has, has got me thinking about uh, the identity, of course, of Jesus himself, which is the whole idea of, of the series. And uh, as I said, maybe last week or the week before, uh, this is the sort of thing we could continue uh, infinitely. Aaron was right about Jesus being everything. It, it feels like there's just too much to say, and so it just could keep, we could keep going with it. Um, but the one thing that has struck me and the thing that I'm taking away from all this is that Jesus' identity, uh, as, we have, uh, as we have sought for it over these last seven weeks, has demonstrated to us not only who Jesus was and is and will be, but who we are as humans called to be. And this morning's sermon is Jesus is calling because I think Jesus' identity calls us into a new way of being. It calls us into a new kind of humanity. And he models for us what it means 
to be fully human. He is that second Adam that gets it right. And the, where the first Adam fails and offers sin and death as a consequence, the second Adam, Christ, offers in its place life and redemption and a way forward. I was listening to a pastor this week, uh, and he, he, he was talking about character generally, but he said this, and I liked it. He said, strong character requires a strong core identity. This is who you are, he said, whose you are, and it demands that we ask, who am I intended to be? Who am I intended to be? Who did God create me to be? Is a wonderful question in life. Children, youth, college students, this is a question you should be asking for a very long time. But you know what, adults? <laughs> we should be asking this question too. This is a question that never tires. Who am I intended to be? Jesus says it this way in, in Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, that which is internal, the mouth speaks. And so our identity, our heart, that internal place, it, uh, out of its overflow, well, the rest of life is lived. And so Jesus walked around, and, and, and the Pharisees often critiqued what's happening outside the body, what one eats or what one drinks or who one uh, is with. And Jesus says, no, you, you've got it all wrong. It's what's inside that matters. It's our identity, so to speak. It's our heart that needs changing, needs to be different. I read a book recently uh, uh, that I highly recommend, actually. I've, I've told you a, a few of you about this already, but it's a book by a guy named James Clear. Some of you might be familiar with it. Uh, it's called Atomic Habits. It has nothing really to do with Christianity uh, per se, though I think it's a, a wonderfully helpful book uh, on one's religious journey. It's, it would be very easy to translate into a religious setting, and, and perhaps that's why I'm, I'm bringing it up today. Um, but in this book... He's talking about habits, and he's talking about good habits, and how we form good habits, and, and he's talking about bad habits, and how we get rid of bad habits, right? Uh, and uh, he, he comes up with this circle, uh, it's more of a target, it's like circles within a circle. In the outer circle, uh, this he calls, um, he calls that, what does he call them? He calls them outcomes, I can never remember that word. They're goals, right? So you, you set a goal, Let's say you, you want to run a 5K, and that's the goal you set, right? Well, that's great. Well, the second circle, that's your habits or your processes or, you know, how you get there. So if you want to run a 5K, well, you better start running, right? You, that, so you, you better begin to train and, and get yourself to the place where you feel comfortable running the 5K, and then you might be able to achieve that goal. But he says, and I agree with him completely, that there's this inner circle that is uh, more fundamental yet than any of the habits you might have in life. And that inner circle, he says, is indeed your identity. And so it's one thing to say, I want to achieve this goal of running a 5K. And it's another thing to say, I am a runner. 
I am not a runner. <laughs> uh, I might aspire to be someday, not quite yet, I'm, my mind's not there. Uh, I have started walking lately, so maybe I'm a walker. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but someday, maybe I'll, I'll say to myself, I have time in life to become a runner. And to be able to say this, though, to, to have this identity, he does say, you have to have the certain habits in place. And he sees these two things flowing in, in both directions. Uh, so you can start with your habits and flow out to the goal. So running a 5K, but the, the goal is, is quite a narrow thing, right? Or you can have the habits that then inform who you are. You're a runner. That is a much broader thing, right? And so sometimes our habits that we take on and, and the things that we do, we'll say, those things that are external, the things that, oh, frankly, the Pharisees were pointing at, right, those external things, well, they sometimes say something about what's happening inside. And what Jesus wants to remind us is to make sure that it's really what's inside, it's that hidden place that matters most. And this is what we must take care of. But I'll say this, if I go around telling people I'm a runner, and then you ask, well, how often do you run? And I say, well, it's been a couple months, but, you know, uh, I ran around the block once. <laughs> then you would say, you're not a runner, and you'd be right. So there has to be some kind of, of, of action, is the point. There's got to be some sort of evidence to the identity that is within. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Because our identity, I believe, it shapes, well, everything that we do. And my goals, well, they shape a very small window of what we do. And so, the Bible as a whole, and Christ himself, calls us into a new way of being, into taking on a new identity altogether. And this means a fundamental change. On my Wednesday night group that meets, uh, or Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday lunch group that meets, uh, which you're all still invited to, uh, I had a wonderful time this uh, Wednesday, uh, and Betty Nice Warner, hi Betty, uh, uh, had this uh, suggestion uh, that uh, she, she's brought up a couple times actually, and it has to do with uh, a family name. And one of the things I like about the group is that uh, some of the folks in there uh, have lived in a generation that I've not lived in. I'll just put it that way. And, uh, and so there was a day and age in which a family name meant something. And you did not want to sully your family name, right? And so I'm a Gilcrest, and my kids are Gilcrests uh, in this day and age. Uh, and if my kids go out and they get in trouble, well, they have sullied the family name, and not only does it look bad on them, but it looks bad on me, right? And I would say to my son, son, you're a Gilcrest. Gilcrests don't act this way. You should not do this. Your identity is a Gilcrest, right? And this would mean something. We don't really talk so much this way anymore. Maybe we should. I like it. I like this idea that I am somebody, when I say that I am a Christian, or I am somebody who follows Christ, that should mean something. 
that should have some sort of effect. I should be able to point to some habits or a way of being in the world that clearly evidences my following Christ. A few years ago, I found out what my name really means. I believe I've said this before, but I think it's been a few years, so it's worth saying again. Uh, my name is Gilcrest, which is two parts, Gil, meaning servant, and crest, a form of Christ. And so my name uh, means servant of Christ. I found this out, it was probably 10 years ago now, and when I found this out, I thought to myself, why in the world did my father and mother not tell me this a long time ago? This is incredibly profound. This is who I am. I am, by name, a servant of Christ. And that should shape everything I do, everything I think, the way I walk through this world. But the fact is that you, too, are servants of Christ, even if you don't bear a name like mine. Because we say that we are followers of Christ, and well, this should mean something in the world. Our identity has been changed. Paul puts it very starkly in a few places, and I'm just going to read through three passages real quickly. The first is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is what Paul says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, here's the phrase, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a profound statement. When Christ, who is your life, he's your everything, he's your very being, this is what Paul wants us to take upon ourselves. Or he says it again in Philippians chapter 1, 20 and 21. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And before I read the real passage, what he's basically saying is he's not sure he's going to live. He's kind of on the brink of life and death at this point in Philippians. And then he says, for to me, to live is Christ, right? To live my life, my identity, everything I am is Christ and to die is gain. Lastly, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's very stark. Straight to the point. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All three of these passages are about identity. Yes, they are about Christ's identity, actually. That's where they start. 
Paul doesn't say, I am crucified with Christ, because crucifixion is just kind of something that happens in the Roman world at this point. He's saying, I am crucified with Christ, because this is uh, the path that Christ shows us, right? And he says, just as Christ was crucified, well, so am I. I'm walking that journey with him. And just as Christ was resurrected from the dead, well, so I will be. Because I'm walking that journey with him. And I'm taking on the identity of Jesus Christ. This isn't just a New Testament thing, in case you're wondering. The passage we read for, uh, today from our Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7, gets at the, the issue of, of identity as well. In Deuteronomy 7, uh, God is reminding the Israelites of just who they are, and more specifically, whose they are, and the fact that God himself chose them, and that they are a special people. And he says to them, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You are set apart. You are different. The Lord chose you to be a people, to be his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, he says. I chose you. And then he tells them why he didn't choose them, right? It, it gets interesting here. He says, it was not because you were more in number than other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your father and their fathers and their fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Israel is God's called people. They are a special people who are chosen. And as they are chosen and when they are chosen, they are given a new identity and they are said very specifically, you are now the Lord's. He is your God and you are his people. And then Jesus turns around and fulfills the call of Israel and opens the floodgates that we also might be brought in. But it's the how we get there that gets a little dicey, if I'm being honest. And, and from our New Testament passage today, we see very clearly how it is we get there. Mark chapter 8, 34 to 38, we read that Jesus was calling. He was calling out to the crowd. And he was calling out to his disciples. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be a Gilchrist, a servant of Christ, if anyone wants to follow me, here's what you have to do. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
and the Gospels will save it. And if you ask yourself, well, who does that sound like? Who gave up his life? Well, that's exactly what Jesus himself does. And so here again, we see Jesus' identity, who Jesus is, informing us who we are and how we get there. We get there very clearly by giving it all over, by giving it up and saying, Jesus, it is yours. Do with it what you will. Because what is mine, well, quite frankly, it's broken anyway. And it's in need of repair. And it needs your help. And so I give it over. The good news is that Jesus gives it back. And he gives it back in a way that, that is far, much, uh, far, far more whole uh, than uh, what we gave over to him. And he gives us a, a certain sense of meaning and, and purpose to it all. A purpose that was missing. We were asked, we had this wonderful youth event the other week uh, and, in which we answered questions uh, from the youth. It was called, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but Hot Topics and Hot Pockets. That is what it was. Hot Topics and Hot Pockets. And the Hot Topics were the questions from the, from the youth and one of the questions was a great one, and it was, is the statement, you are enough, is this something we as Christians should abide by? And my answer was a squirrely one. I said yes, and I said no, because <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, I, I said yes, though, in a very specific way that attaches to this sermon. Or, sorry, I said no in a way that attaches to this sermon. The no is that, no, I am not enough, Right? that I must hand over that life to Christ, that I must hand over everything I've got in order for it to be redeemed and given back to me, for it to mean anything to me. It must be given over. It must be crucified. And in that way, I am not enough. But God does give me myself back. That's the enough that we need. And so I found a wonderful quote, youth, if you're out there uh, listening, that I, I like as a better version of the you are enough slogan that seems to run around these days. And this one, put this in your pocket, is from the 1300s, a woman named Catherine of Siena, and it sounds incredibly modern. She says, be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. I had to double-check this one to make sure this wasn't a fake quote, but it's real. Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. I think this is incredibly profound. There's a wisdom here that needs to be uh, grasped and lived out. I want to conclude with a quote, actually, from that book that I read, the Atomic Habits book. It's by a guy named, again, James Clear. And he says this specifically about identity. He says, whatever your identity is right now, you only believe it because you have proof of it. 
If you go to church every Sunday for 20 years, he says, you have evidence that you are religious. If you study biology for one hour every night, you have evidence you are studious. If you go to the gym, even when it's snowing, you have evidence that, you're, uh, that you are committed to fitness. The more evidence you have for a belief, the more strongly you will believe it. And he goes on to say about his own life that in his early life, I didn't consider myself a writer. If you, ask, uh, if you were to ask any of my high school teachers or college professors, they would tell you I was an average writer at best, certainly not a standout. When I began my writing career, I published a new article every Monday and Thursday for the first few years. As the evidence grew, so did my identity as a writer. I didn't start out as a writer, he says. I became one through my habits. And I think there's something wonderful about this. And this is where the Christian disciplines come in. And so you should ask yourself, when you say that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ, that you're a servant of Christ, what habits do you point to? What is the evidence that you point to? There should be something there. Maybe it is church attendance, like he suggested, or maybe it's scripture reading, or regular prayer, or study, or confession, or worship. These are all great, and I highly recommend any and all of those to you as regular habits to participate in. But I will say there is a danger there. It's the danger that Jesus points to, to the Pharisees, who do some similar things, frankly. He says that there's got to be something else deeper inside, that those actually don't constitute your identity. And Jesus says things like, you've, you've done all these other things, but you've neglected justice and, and mercy, and some of these deeper values. And so I would point to things like what Paul talks about, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. Are you a patient person? Are you a kind person, a gentle person? Are you self-controlled? These are a little more intangible than our, well, how many passages of Scripture have I read this week? But I'll say they get closer to the heart of what it means to be somebody who is transformed into the very image of Christ. So this week, as we go about our lives... Jesus is indeed calling. He's calling us into a life that is conformed into his image. And I would simply leave you with this question. What does that look like in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, For those of us who have answers to that question readily available, I am grateful. For those who can say, I have a prayer life that looks like this, and I have a, a scripture reading plan that looks like that, and I, I meet with this group every week, and we confess to one another our sins, and, and we live life together in a Christianly sort of way. 
these are wonderful and good things. Lord, for those who might be struggling right now to find some kind of answer to this question, God, I ask that you prick their heart and give them that the, an- the answer that, that should be there and the ways that they should move forward with. But Lord, for all of us, Lord, being more loving people and more kind people and people who are more joyous and more filled with, especially in these times, peace, well, God, this is something that we can all strive toward. God, may this week we be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his all, taught us that we too should give our all, that we might set the world on fire. Pray this in the name of our Lord and our Savior. Amen.